Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. And welcome to our 2015 Star Wars special. Uh, joining me in a few moments will be Patrick Hayes, uh, who's our resident Star Wars guru. Um, he knows more about Star Wars than, than I do, but then again, that, that's quite easy because I don't really follow it. But we, we have a guest later on on the show um, in, in the form of Penka Kunavar, who's um, a composer, and she's got a new concept album coming out called The Woman Astronaut. Now, Penka's actually worked on various films, including Endor's Game as the, um, as the orchestrator. And and she also uh, did did some did some work on Elysium, and she's also known for having done work on, on lots and lots of video games. But before we before we go go to Penkin, let's get go get on with the Star Wars special and bring Patrick on. Patrick, how you doing? Pretty good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's so like it's been a it's, it's been a bit of a strange day for me, but you know I'm kind of glad that I can sort of like put it behind me a little bit and start talking about Star Wars. Are you excited? Oh, I'm I'm really excited. I didn't think I would be hyped up at this. point point for it but it's just getting worse each week as things go on it is you know i'm i'm feeling i'm feeling more excited for this one than i was for the prequel trilogy oddly enough I am too. I want to see what happened to uh, all the characters that I grew up with. I want to know what happened to Luke and Han and Chewie and the princess, um, more so than what happened to uh, Anakin to turn him into Darth Vader. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think what kind of ruined the prequel trilogy for people is we, we all knew the ending. It was kind of like going to see a free movie version of Titanic. You go see Titanic, you expect the boat to sink at the end. Exactly, and that's yeah. what I was praying for after that first hour and a half of that movie. Just sink the boat already. <laughs> Yeah, and it took it about three hours to go down, but never, never mind. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so now we've had a, you know, we've heard, heard loads of stuff recently. I mean, we've got the, uh, you know, Rogue, Rogue, is it is it Rogue Squadron? Rogue One. Rogue One, that comes out in 2016. Yep. And, um, you know, basically, I've just, I've just saw that come on, I've come on a page that says Felicity Jones is going to be playing a classic villain's daughter. And I'm thinking, hmm, could this be Grand Moff Tarkin's daughter? That's what I'm thinking. I'm, I would bet money on that, and I think that's a good bet that she's going to be uh, Tarkin's daughter. Because, you know, unless, uh, unless Darth Vader um, visited an Imperial brothel or something and impregnated <laughs> one, of, one of the uh, space hookers, you know, um, I mean, I somehow can't see that coming, you know, see, see that happening. So it's, yeah. got, it's got to be Grand Moff Tarkin or, 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 or some, some character like that. Unless it, it could be Darth Maul's daughter. No, I'm pretty sure he didn't have any kids. I'm, they, they explored that pretty thoroughly in Clone Wars, and I don't think he's going to have any offspring. Mm. Yeah, well, well maybe the fact that he, that he fought with a double-sided lightsaber, he was compensating for something there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's something like um, Rogue One is it's posing about the, um, about the Death Star, about him getting plans to the Death Star. Yeah, that's that's the big rumor that's going around. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's something else because I would love to see um, this villainess, if she is going to be Tarkin's daughter, come in and she's going to be pretty badass and pissed off to uh, go killing any rebels that uh, basically helped kill her father on that Death Star. So I'm hoping this takes place afterwards with some other type of adventure and we have an angry daughter looking for vengeance. Well, you know, there is a line from Return of the Jedi when they got the plans to that Death Star and where where is it with Mon Mothma, she goes, many Bothams died to get this information. Right. And I'm looking at a picture of Felicity Jones here, and I think, yeah, she could do Vinganess. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, she could definitely do Vinganess. And I think that's a good move for the franchise, because they've had nothing but, um, at least in the movies, uh, male villains. So, And they've had a pretty good run of um, female villains on the Star Wars cartoons, like in Clone Wars with Asajj Ventress. So I'm thinking they're taking a, a little clue from 
that series and trying to amp up the female villain power for the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to these anthology movies as well. I mean, you know, we've got Rogue One, and the second one I'm going to do is a Han Solo one. Yeah, that one has me really concerned. Um, just because it's it's a prequel, technically, and I don't know if they can pull it off. I mean, I'm, I'm so torn on the, the first three prequels. I don't know if I want another prequel, because I already know Han Solo's going to end up being on the Millennium Falcon somehow, and um, he's safe. He's untouchable throughout the movie, so there's not much you can do with him. Mm, true, but it'd be kind of interesting to see him and a young Nando. Right. And, and, and how, how they met and how their relationship formed and, uh, and and stuff like that. Yeah, and you can have him uh, rescuing Chewbacca because Chewbacca has a life debt to him. That's why they hang out together all the time. So it'd be neat to see uh, Han's first meeting with Chewie. Um, I just don't know. I mean, there's a lot of backstory that's been said in the past about Han Solo, that he was a... Uh, He was a stormtrooper in training and got upset at what he was seeing, so he quit, um, got the Falcon, saved Chewie, and became a smuggler. Um, I just just don't know. I'm so mixed on it. Yeah, and and there's also the thing that, you know, Finn in the new film is, uh, you know, it kind of looks like he's left the Imperial Guard. Right. It looks like, yeah. See, and I don't, I'm hoping they don't do that back to back. Yeah, everything I'm reading about Finn, um, especially what I found on one website, makes it look like that he's disgusted with what he's seeing the uh, First Order doing. So he cuts out, he leaves, he goes AWOL. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was looking at some of the toys that they're releasing later on in the year for, for The Force Awakens, and wow, those new Stormtroopers look sexy, don't they? Yeah, I wasn't too keen on them when I first saw them, but after seeing them, uh, a couple of uh, people in costume from their own their own creation at the Star Wars Celebration and at uh, San Diego Comic-Con this year, oh yeah, these Stormtroopers are going to look good. You know, and, and um, you know... Judging by the leak, some of the leaked footage as well, I mean, the uh, the sets are bang on and consistent with what we're seeing in the classic trilogy as well. Yeah, oh yeah. And it's just, and it's, I, I do like what they did with the look. It's just a slight, slight change. There's nothing major. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got the Han Solo movie coming, um, that, that'd be 2018, right? Yep. And then in, in the uh, 2020, we'll have a Boba Fett movie, allegedly. That's what they're saying. And I'm, I'm more interested in that than I am a hand solo movie to be honest i think most people are more interested in that because boba fett is one character that you know even though we've seen him as a young boy in the in 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 the prequel trilogy he's one of those characters that's largely gone unexplored you know right there's still that there's still that air of mystery around him and he showed up a little bit in the Clone Wars cartoons as an even brattier teenager. Um, but there's so much that was done with the planet Mandalore, showing um, how the planet was falling apart and how these um, they basically had to become bounty hunters. Um, there's just so much there that they can do without having to trip around um, Vader or the Emperor, and it'd be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's even he's even featured in the comics. You know, there's a contract out on Luke Skywalker. Yeah, um, that just finished up. He went looking for Luke, and uh, Luke was lucky to get out of there in time. Mm-hmm. He, he was. I mean, I, I, um, I've read issue six. I've not read issue seven yet, but you know, I, I've got it on my um, on, on my on, on my iPad, ready to go, yeah. um, along with issue three of Kings of Phantom. But yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about that storyline with him going after Luke Skywalker. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem consistent with what we know because this is this that story is set between a new hope and empire right um i think their whole meeting was um created just so that um fett could tip off of vader that um skywalker was alive and he realizes that luke is his son mm-hmm. so that gives a little more background for why vader is so hot i mean if you, if you look at the original three movies vader's hot for luke the whole time but we don't really get a reason why and the comic the comics are filling that in since they're officially canon now showing why vader is hot to trot to get him and perhaps use him to join his side and then they can team up and take out the emperor so it, it's making sense i was kind of i wasn't thrilled with it at first but i, I was impressed with it where it went yeah i'm hoping we'll get see vader in rogue one i'm thinking we're gonna see a lot of vader in all these movies making just little cameos that's all he needs to do is make a cameo and um 
it would suffice. It'd be perfect. Yeah, I don't want to see him in the um, in, in the continuation movies. Or... Oh, no, I don't think so. But, I don't think so. But I think, you know, slide him into the uh, anthology movies that's set between, that'd be good. Yeah, and uh, maybe in the... Um, have you heard that they're talking about uh, the big hot rumor was a Star Wars series for Netflix? Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good place to drop him in as well, especially if that one that's making the rounds, um, the Underworld one about all the gangsters came out. That would be fantastic yeah. with him just making little appearances. That'd be cool. I mean, it's funny actually because uh, just just before I I started recording this for you guys, I, I was just watching uh, uh, Dinner for Five, which is a, a show that Kevin Smith does on iTunes on on um, on, on on YouTube. Sorry, and um, the guests he had on, he had uh, Mark Hamill, Stan Lee, and. Um, and and Jason what was his name now uh, the, the guy that played uh, Brody in in Malrats he had him on and, oh yeah and he was saying that you know th- there's been this rumor going around that doing this Star Wars series and um, that Mark Hamill's going to be in it as a regular oh and um, and and that Kevin Smith is going to be the showrunner oh gee. And I don't think so. He says this room has been going round, and he keeps he keeps sort of like saying, "Well, you know, on on Twitter, I don't know," <laughs> sort of thing, <laughs> you know. And he's sort of like saying, "I don't know. I'd like to do it." <laughs> Oh, Kevin Smith. I actually would love to see Kevin Smith um, more than J.J. Abrams do a Star Wars movie. I think Kevin Smith would do it justice. <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 you know, and, and I think if Kevin Smith was to do it, we'd have to have a Jay and Silent Bob cameo in there. I think you'd have two aliens standing against a wall outside some store somewhere just sitting there smoking. Yeah, you know, sitting there with bongs or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... I've seen that and um, I just had to laugh for them because this this Star Wars series um, on on Netflix rumors is kind of relatively new, but it sort of like pans out from the plans that they they were talking about doing a series years and you know a few years back. Right, and, and Lucas Lucas said he couldn't figure out how to do the special effects on a budget, and I think Marvel has shown through Disney that they can do it with Daredevil. I mean, that had a lot of special effects in it, but um, nothing too showy until the end. I think they could pull it off quite well. I, I think they could as well. I mean, you know, to be honest, uh, the reason the reason that I like the the the, uh, the original trilogy better than the prequels trilogy is because the characters are so well written and yeah. and you actually care for the characters. I mean, you know, the effects and everything were really really cool and and and, and fantastic to look at. But you know, you actually care for those characters. Whereas in in the prequel trilogy, I just wanted them to get on with it and kill Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> You know, I wanted him to kill the bratty kid, and then when he became a bratty teenager, I wanted them to kill him, you know, <laughs> instantly. And the whole romance with Padme thing is all like, it's just too drawn out. It just slowed the film, slowed the narrative down. Yeah. You know, so like, um, there's actually a three hour cut on, on, on YouTube, which is way better than those three films. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, you know, I, I'm just um, that's why I'm that's why I'm so glad that JJ's got the first Star Wars film of, of the yeah. of the prequel triggers. So I know that we're gonna get you know a quite fast paced film, but with, with 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 fun character moments. Yeah, he's um, even if he's not involved with the direct writing of a show, if he comes in as a director, I think he punches things up enough to go. We should do this with this character. This sets up more. I think he's got a good handle on character writing in general. So, yeah, I think he's going to do a fine job with these characters. And I like that they haven't... A lot of what these characters are about or who they are hasn't really been spoiled online yet. I mean... I got a pretty good idea on what starts the movie, maybe the first 15 minutes. But after that, I'm pretty much a blank slate on a couple of key characters still. And I want to keep it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've really, really appreciated about J.J.'s uh, involvement in Star Trek. Was the fact that not many spoilers got online, with the exception of the second movie, which was a complete travesty. Yeah, the yeah. I remember that, and the uh, yeah, the photos from the ending came out right away for that movie. Yeah, but, but basically, the the whole plot of that movie came out right away. It came out pretty much as soon as the sec- as soon as the first movie had gone gone gone. You know, been 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 and gone. You know, it's sort of like um, the next movie is going to feature Khan. 
and that that was that was a hot rumor for about three years right. and and then to our immense disappointment it features Khan. yeah yeah i think uh, jj learned his lesson from that movie what to do and what not to do when uh, making it mm-hmm. but you know it's it's just one of those things i mean you know like you say jj is really good at writing characters i mean i remember you know there was a film made back in the 1990s starred harrison ford called regarding henry screenplay by jj abrams yeah. And that was like his first big job and that was a fantastic character driven film. Yeah, and Harrison Ford was really good at it. I think that's one reason why um Harrison signed back up for the uh for this new film was because he recognized, okay, this guy knows what he's doing with characters since he did that movie. I'm sure he'll do a decent job with the next Star Wars. So mm-hmm. But you know, I've gotta say what what I really enjoyed about you know, we mentioned this in the, in our last chat was the Comic Con panel. I enjoyed the fact that we got to see some of the practical effects and that comic con real and it's also you know the way that harrison ford is uh you know he genuinely seems happy to be promoting this one right whereas in the original trilogy he wasn't too happy because he, he said something about well you know said something about saying to george Lucas, he says george you can write this shit but you know it's not how people talk you know yeah oh they, yeah that's a famous line from him and you know he's almost like um he, he is almost like he, he he always had mixed feelings about his, his association with the star was trilogy. Yeah. Well, after after the first film, um, with Empire Strikes Back and then in Jedi, he's not really doing much in Jedi. And he's not really doing too much in uh, Empire after the... Uh, well, he gets frozen, so he's, he's out of it in the yeah, final they, act. They turn, him in, they turn him into an ice longie. Yeah. I, I've, got the, um, I've got the ice cube trades of him frozen in car- okay. carbonite, and, you know, I have uh, I have frozen Han Solo ice longies. <laughs> have some whiskey and Solo? Yeah, whiskey and Solo. <laughs> um but yeah it's um it's it's one of those things but um so you you've you've read some you've read some potential spoilers about the um about the about the new film yeah you're saying is there anything in those spoilers that you're hoping and praying doesn't happen um yeah i'm i'm trying to be a good fan here i don't want it completely ruined for me but i was reading from one website where and i'll i'll say the name of the person evidently there is a uh, a star wars blog who goes by the name of Dark Lightly Bruise, that's all one word, um, who's been taking every spoiler that they can get their hands on, putting it all together, and then this is really, really good from a spoiler point of view, matching up every piece of leaked footage or um, footage put forth by the studio to match it up and go, look, this is the part that I've heard, here's the proof in the film. And they're going back and forth, and I read a relationship about two characters that I'm hoping isn't true. Because it's that's, probably... That's, that's, that's all I want to say. <laughs> yeah, I've guessed it already. It's probably Finn and the new girl. Um... Actually, no. No? No, someone else. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's there's several characters in this movie uh, played by several big-name actors, and um, there's not been a lot said about them yet. And um, anyway, if somebody really wants to spoil it, they can go seek out that person's name and go for it. Um, from what I've read, things get a little loosey-goosey in this person, but I think the, the build-up, I mean, it, I've said before in a previous prod podcast, it's pretty much given that the movie's going to start, and I've read it in a million places, with um, Luke's lightsaber being found. And that's what starts the whole movie. And um, after reading a monstrous spoiler on it, um, it's it's justifiable what leads to everything snowballing and these new characters getting involved with the old characters. Mm-hmm. What so I'm, you, I'm looking forward to that. Something I read a while back uh, was suggesting that Mark Hamill's going to have a role in all three of them, um, that he's kind of going to be a recurring element throughout the three movies. I'm just wondering if there's any truth to that. Um, yeah, everything I've read about Mark Hamill I think he's only going to appear in the last 15 minutes of the first film. Mm-hmm. That's what it's looking like. And I think he's going to uh, make appearances as uh, be a larger presence in the second film. And I think he's going to have to come front and center in the third. Right. So so, so basically he could be the one character that's recurring. Uh, we don't know about Han and Leia yet and the others. Um, it'd be great if all of them could be in all three movies. Yeah. Um, I heard a rumor, and I'm hoping it's true, and it kind of died down a little. So I'm thinking it's it might be true that uh, Billy D. Williams is in the film, mm. making, making a Lando appear, just a cameo. In other words, somebody has to contact. I have a feel, and this is I've read in no spoiler. Things seem like Leia is trying to find Hand, so she gets a hold of Lando, who's probably much easier to find than Hand, and asks Han- Lando to go looking or to use his resources to find Hand. Okay, well, yeah, Nando making an appearance. Um, I think Lawrence. 
Kasdan's already sort of like denied that. He, he's already said that Nando's not going to be in the first film, but he will make an appearance in oh. the trilogy. You know? Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't heard anything about what Lawrence Kasdan has said. Yeah, I, I go with him then over anything I've read. But I, I read some, you know, I read somewhere that Lawrence Kasdan said that Nando's not in the first film, but that's not not ruling him out from appearing in elsewhere in the trilogy sort of thing. I mean, we've already seen him pop up in Rebels twice. Which is right. which is fun, um, oh, yeah. and you know I'm I'm hoping we get to see a few more original original film characters pop up in Rebels right. as 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 it goes on. I mean, so I'm, you could see Han Solo pop up, but I can't see them doing that towards until towards the end of the series. Right. But yeah, I mean that that'd be a fun character to have in. I mean, so like, um, I mean it might be even fun to have Greedo pop up. Well, Greedo supposedly was in uh, The Phantom Menace. He made a cameo. Do you remember um, Anakin when he was uh, Jake Lloyd, when he was a little boy? Oh, the, the... Uh, he had all the friends. There was a, a Warwick Davis portrayed a uh, Rodian. And uh, there's rumors that that was Greedo because at one point there's a cut scene supposedly I read somewhere where um, that character says, I'm going to shoot you someday. And then Anakin's like, oh, not if somebody shoots you first. Oh, and I, 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 remember, the, I remember him having a Rod, Rodian friend. Right. It, that that people have said has been suggested to be um, Greedo. I can't see it, to be honest, because it, you know, it seems so far removed from what Greedo's nature would have been. Well, Rodians are normally, they up to that point in the franchise... They were pretty hostile, even when they were young, towards other people. So, mm. well, maybe with Jake Lloyd having, you know, having the force, he was able to, you know, have some influence over him. Yeah, pass, pacify him a little. And the the voice that they gave him, and I don't, I think that was Warwick Davis's voice. There's a one part where that character speaks is really cartoony, really silly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be fun to see, it'd be fun to see Greedo again. Yeah, in, in some way, because so like um, he's he's in a one characters who don't know much about him other than, other than that he was a um, you know conniving bounty hunter <laughs> right right working for Jabba so mm-hmm. yeah I mean I don't know I mean what, what are you what are you looking forward to about about the uh, about the new film well I'm I'm hoping to find new characters to, to fall in love with I mean as much as I love Luke Han Leia and uh, the droids they can't last forever you've got to move it on to the next hand the next hand <laughs> The next person. True. So I, I, I'm hoping to see that. I, I'm really looking forward to learning more about, um, oh God, what's her name? Uh, the character Ray, the uh, girl that we see um, on the planet Jakku there, who's on the speeder in front of that Star Destroyer that's sitting in the sand. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to some space battles. Yeah. You know, some Honest to God at Swing TIE Fighter space battles. The one thing that I was really disappointed in about the prequel trilogy was the space battles. Yeah, it didn't get a lot of that until the third movie. Yeah, and, and they'll kind of, they'll kind of name is well yeah yeah just there was so much going on it was hard to find a focus um but it's just so like um i, I just want to see x wings and tie fighters going at it again i think you're gonna get it. it it looks like it i mean with this whole seeing as how the empire hasn't been completely taken out yet and that's now calling itself the first order um i'm i'm thinking you're gonna see quite a bit of ship battles mm-hmm. and we've got kang o ren um i mean i mentioned this in the last in the last uh, in the last show that i did with you is that uh, there's an in, been an interesting uh, theory going around many of the fan forums but um, Kang O'Ren is Ezra from, right. from Rebels. Now, I've been trying to figure out how that could be because, you know, Rebels supposedly is set, what, 20, maybe 30 years before A New Hope? No, it's uh, less than 10. It's less than 10. Okay, it's well less that's... than 10. It's only about 8 or 7, I believe. Mm, okay, well, it still doesn't make sense um, chronologically speaking because uh, in, in Rebels, Ezra's about, what, 12 yeah 12 or 13 at the most mm-hmm. so so by the time by, by the time new hope comes around it's going to be what early 20s right and you know does adam driver look like a guy in his 50s to you yeah. Yeah. no that, that's that's what that's kind of long as he's got some jedi power that allows him to sort of like stay relatively youthful looking but right. but i think i think it's an interesting theory in a sense and i can i can see why it's there because adam driver does have the look of an older version of Ezra yeah you know so I mean you know it'd be fun to see some of the Rebels characters in the new movies can you see that happening 
I think knowing, uh, see, this makes me kind of sad. Like knowing Disney, they'll drop something in there. Something there'll be a reference of some kind. I just know it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's visual or it's something in the script or something in the background. Yeah, something's gonna show up. Yeah, I'm kind. I'm kind of hoping. I'm kind of hoping it does. I mean. Um, I don't want it to be the uh, be the Jedi that's coached Ezra. No, no, no. K- Kanan, Kanan won't be around. I'm sure. You know, K- Kanan will probably be dead. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, because so like, because um, by the time New Hope comes around, um, the Jedi have all been destroyed, as far as we know. Yeah, it's just Ben and Yoda. That's it. Mm-hmm. But there's another. There's been another interesting rumor I've read about. Um, are you familiar with the uh, with the Force Awakens game? The, the Force, the, the Force games. No. The video games. I think they did novelizations of them. They've done, yeah, they've done a couple novelizations of some of the video games, but no, I haven't played the video games. Well, they did novelizations of, of the ones where Darth Vader's apprentice. Oh, yeah. And there's actually uh, been a rumour going around that Darth Vader's apprentice from, from the two Force... From the two Force Unleashed games, um, is gonna pop up in the uh, in in the new trilogy. Mm, that one I don't know about. Um, I I think it'd be more Ezra than that character. I, I I'm inclined to agree. I mean, so like it's I mean it'd be an interesting thing to to have happen because so like uh, in in those games he kind of ended up aiding the rebels and going against Darth Vader, right? Sort of thing. So um, and and the Sith have always got an apprentice on the side, even though. They, I mean, they're famous for saying there can be only two. Um, in the novels, there was the Hand of the Emperor that was Mara Jade, who eventually became Luke's wife in the old chronology. And then uh, Vader um, picking people left and right, it seems. So, yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. But, you know, it's possible that, you know, Darth Vader could have had a couple of apprentices. Because otherwise, how, how do you explain uh, Kango Ren? Right and and stuff like that. So I mean, I, I, you know that that that's going to be a whole new backstory. But I'm I'm a bit like you. I'm hoping that they can come up with strong enough characters and good enough actors to play them. But we actually fall in love with a new set of characters because that's something that they just didn't achieve in the prequel trilogy. Right. You know the you know and and this is this is it. You know Natalie Portman. She's a damn good actress. But in 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 the Star Wars prequel trilogy as Padme, she just got on my nerves. Yeah, and she didn't have a lot to do after the first movie yeah but even in the first movie she she kind of got off on my nerves yeah and it was just sort of like you know and it can't have been down to her acting because she's she's actually good it was something in the writing yeah sort of thing so i'm I'm kind of hoping that they that they that they've they've addressed that in in the in this new trilogy that they get the balance between the writing and the acting the acting right and you you know you have new characters that we can all fall in love with right and and that we have um sort of like next generation of young kids going in see this movie coming out of it saying I want to be thin when I grow up. Yeah. You know, a bit like you and me, it would have been, I always wanted to be Han Solo right. when I grew up. That, that was a character I liked most from the original trilogy. I hated Luke Skywalker because he was a pretty boy <laughs> and he was too, too, too good. You know? See, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. I just didn't care at all for Han Solo. Mm, I, I kind of wanted to be Han Solo because I kind of liked, you know, so I liked the fact that he he was sort of like uh, a Goran to himself. He didn't really care, and you know, I, I just loved the fact that he was sort of like um, a character that's sort of in the shadows. He's neither good nor bad. Right. So he's kind of like the classic anti-hero. Yeah. Which is kind kind of what I like in character. <laughs> so sort I of think, and and when it's done well, it's done well, and it's and 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 they did. It really well with Han Solo, but then again, it's sort of like in, in the classic Blake Seven series. He always like I always liked Avon over Blake, right? So, so there's a there's definite there's a definite pattern there. Um, so uh, before we uh, go, anything else on the Star Wars? Um, one thing I'd like to see, and this might hurt George Lucas fans. I know J.J. Abrams has thrown out there he'd like to kind of apologize for the prequels by killing off Jar Jar somewhere. I want to see that. All I want is just to see a Gungan's skull somewhere and I'll be satisfied. Nah, I want to see... Just a skull somewhere in the background. You don't have to make any mention of who it is. Just give me that skull. I'll be a happy man. I want to see... I want to see a montage action scene where he's being hunted down by stormtroopers. (laughs) And, you know, that, you know, and, and so we don't have to put up with this Misa Misa knows and all that all that bullshit right we'll have we'll have sort of like some rock music playing <laughs> and the storm stormtroopers catch up to him and and uh, you know just start shooting him in, in the toes and the legs and just slowly torturing him for 10 minutes 
That'll be a, an episode on the Netflix series. Mm-hmm. And then they chop his head off. <laughs> and then I get my skull. Yeah, and then you get your skull. Um, I, I'll tell you one thing though. I've, I've actually, um, and this is quick, quick note before we go. I've ordered, I've ordered my my uh, copy of Star Wars Battlefield. Oh yeah. Which uh, you probably seen the, uh, you probably seen the, seen the videos for it. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> mm, I can't wait to get my mitts on that and play it. But I'm really, really hoping that the uh, games developers they they release another sort of like um, a dog fighting game because that's where I am in my element is you know get right. me get me on a video game and get me in a cockpit of an X wing fight. And you know, I'm happy as I'm happy as a Gary when you can do that because I, I love flying those things. You know, hell, I even like flying, I even like flying Tie Fighters. Right. You know, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and, and I do believe that the um, that the game actually references parts of the uh, of the new film as well as the old. Oh, that'd be great. So you know, because it, it, there's, there's actually um, a sequence with Boba Fett in the game. Right. Which, I've, I've heard of that. Yeah. Which actually suggests that Boba Fett. Is still alive. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, he could be. He could be. He could be. Um, you know, so sort of like um, I can't see a bounty hunter being being easy to kill, even if he's being digested over a thousand years by the Sarnak pig. Right. You know. You know. So sort of like he, he probably took him thirty years to get out of there, but you know, somehow he would have managed it. The fact. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think that about wraps up our Star Wars special. Um, I think what we should do now is we should make a pact to actually record a show um, in December where we both kind of do a review. Okay, you know, we kind of share our thoughts about about the film once we've seen it. Right, I'll definitely be at a midnight show when it premieres. Yeah, I'm, I, I probably won't go to a midnight show because problem with me is transportation because I use public transport. I'll probably try and get a matinee show. No, I'll, I'll be sick that day for work. I'm. Sure. In the middle of the afternoon and go see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this one because I want to see it on the big screen. Whereas the prequel trilogy, I couldn't be bothered seeing any of those on the big screen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't bother. You know, so like after the first one, and I thought, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to see these on the big screen but I've seen all the original trilogy on the big screen well I've, I've seen them all and I saw the Phantom Menace in 3D when they re-released that so wow yeah I actually remember going to um, and they did it in the 90s in the early 90s they they, they had a they, a cinema actually shown all three movies all three all three the original movies back to back oh wow and I went to, I, I went to that and damn I was tired after that yeah <laughs> it was bet. like six hours <laughs> Yeah. But it was good. <laughs> anyway, I think that about wraps it up. It's now time for our interview with uh, Penka Kunova about um, the woman astronaut. So we, we've got a very space-orientated show today, which is cool. So, you know, thanks for joining, joining me, Pat, for this. Hello, I'd like to welcome um, composer extraordinaire Penka Kuniva to the uh, to the show this week. Um, who's going to be talking to me about a great many things, including the release of her new concept album, The Woman Astronaut. Hi, Penka. How are you doing today? Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. It's my joy and pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. So I'm kind of looking forward to asking you about about your work um, because you know, from from what I've seen and heard, you've done quite a lot of of really good work. So, um, I guess we'll start with uh, how do you actually get into composing for video games and film? Was it something you always wanted to do? I started as a child uh, composing for children's theater, and I've always loved drama and storytelling since childhood. So um, I was born and raised in Bulgaria, then went to, to Duke University on a full scholarship um, as a master student in composition. And when time came for me to choose a vocation for a lifetime, um, it, I was already 32, um, I really thought to myself, well, I'm passionate about storytelling, I love collaborating, I love working with people, and I also love working with people's ideas and uh, creative visions, so I will become a film composer, and then I, from film composer, I grew into a game composer and became really passionate about that. So it was a very conscious choice, and um, it's it was a natural choice, and I have been so happy and fulfilled, and I really am so happy I made this choice back when I was 32, to become a film composer, to tell stories through music, and uh, to work with people with, in their vision. 
Cool. Oh, you know, having done music for television, movies, and and of course video games as well, um, how do you say the approach differs between between those different fields? Uh, does it is is there a different approach? Um, I will talk about the similarities and the differences. Uh, technically, they're very different. In video games, there's certain technical rigor in a way that the music has to be composed in you know thirty second loop or one minute loop, and you, you have to stick with the technical requirements. Um, otherwise, you know, in, when you score a film, obviously there, each scene which has music has a, an emotional arc and the music absolutely has to support the arc and just hit different, um, maybe, maybe character coming on stage, visual things that have to be addressed in the music. And um, basically the similarities are that uh, a composer must be able to write distinctive themes, a theme for the story, for the world that we're creating, for the characters. Um, then also, we have, composers have to have a very deep sense of style. You know, what style would be the best for that particular story, for that genre? So composers have to have that deep knowledge of genres also. Mm-hmm. So I would say these are the skills, you know, knowledge of genres, ability to write themes that that, that, that translate from um, any uh, media. But uh, again, in games, there is a technical rigor and you have to work very closely with your collaborators to make sure that whatever music is composed is going to fit with the gameplay and um, the music has to be also interactive, which means we compose, um, you know, different um, elements that, that help the interactive experience like stingers or intros or cinematics and so on. Wow. It sounds like a bit of a nightmare scoring for a video game. No, I love it. No, it's, it's wonderful. It's just a learning curve and, um, it's not, it's not something that composers can kind of wing. They really have to commit to learning and understanding deeply. And also composers have to play games. I mean, really, even though I play on easy level and like a training level, like as easy as possible, I still have to experience the game viscerally, like, you know, on my own and, and see the missions and see the, how, how the levels are structured because it's important to understand what we're composing for. Cool. Um, I've, I've actually uh, noticed that you're, you're actually credited as an orchestrator on, on, on Elysium, which is a fantastic film. I love that film. Um, as well as Ender's Game. Um, how did you become involved in those films? And, and what specifically does an orchestrator do uh, that, that maybe a composer doesn't do? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Orchestrator is one very specific profession in Hollywood. Uh, basically, my job is to... Uh, work with the composer's computer files and themes and ideas um, and while they're busy doing revisions and having playbacks where they present their work to the director in a way of uh, computer files, their focus has to be on the collaboration. Their focus has to be on revisions and and implementing the feedback and and satisfying the studio. And that, that takes, that tends to get really crazy, especially towards the end before the recording. So my job is to take the computer files which is entirely the composer's original work, and essentially create an arrangement, uh, rethink uh, the, the music to fit a particular ensemble, maybe 70 musicians or 60 musicians, you know, 15 people who play brass, 50 people who play strings. So my job is essentially to create that orchestral arrangement. So it's not creative, it's more like support system to the composer. He's the creative person, and my job is to be in charge of that orchestral sound, which is then blended with percussion and electronics and sound effects, and we have to make certain decisions, especially in big action science fiction games. Like, for instance, we beef up the brass, the low brass, and we also beef up the low strings. Like, you have more contrabasses and cello um, because the orchestral sound has to be balanced with heavy percussion and also with the explosions and sound effects and still stand on its own. So these are the kind of decisions I make as an orchestrator. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's it also kind of sounds like you, 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 um, you have to know the, uh, the right people, uh, the right, you know, the right musicians to sort of like fill, you know, fill, fill that orchestra as well. Yeah. Well, also my job is a lot of, uh, communicating and hundreds of emails because I'm the one who communicates with everybody on the music production team. My job is to communicate with the composer and his assistants and music editor and contractor of the musicians. Uh, you mean the, I mean the orchestra and then recording engineer and the studio and budget people and, and, you know, all sorts of assistants. I mean, essentially I, on a job as an orchestrator, especially as the lead orchestrator, I, I email like 800 emails to people in the course of the job, which is a lot. 
Like <laughs> yep, that's a, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of riding. <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's essentially my my job is to make the composer sound like a million bucks and, and really support them and provide that that uh, sense of support while they're preoccupied with uh, satisfying the studio and um, you know if it's a film it gets recut until the very end so the composer has to address the cuts. It's a complicated process. It's also very. Um, involved in terms of time and then a lot of cooks are in the kitchen and the composer gets feedback from the director and producers and studio people and it's just it's a complicated process Mm -hmm. so I'm the one who makes them happy and they have to rely on me you know with their reputation with their job so there's a lot of trust tremendous amount of trust that gets built over the years and this is why it's so difficult to um, rise up the ladder and you know become um, a lead orchestrator because a lot of trust is involved. Mm-hmm. I've, I've actually noticed that a lot, a lot of the music that you, you have done is, is for you know video games and and obviously uh, Elysium and, and Endor's game were both you know science fiction uh, and fantasy projects. Um, is is it that kind of project that actually really grabs you? You know, like science fiction, fantasy. Is that is that sort of a, a the emotional music that you like to be involved with, to be a part of? I absolutely adore science fiction, and I have adored and loved and read and watched sci- sci-fi ever, I mean, since childhood. Actually, one of the reasons I got selected to work on these films is precisely because I know really well the vernacular of how these movies are scored. I mean, I've watched every possible, you know, 70s, 80s, sci-fi movie from the big blockbusters to tiny little campy independent movies. And I'm, I'm really passionate about them. You know, I can tell you many movies I've seen, but um, basically because of that deep knowledge and passion, deep knowledge of the musical style, of like the narrative style, you know, I got picked on these jobs because, um, because I would bring that knowledge into my work. And also, I mean, it's just working with um, Steve Jablonski. Steve Jablonski is somebody I've worked with um, for 11 years now, and he opened the biggest door in my career by recommending me on the as a composer on the Transformers game and Prince of Persia game. So um, I would always work with Steve. In fact, right now we're working on another fantasy film together. So um, um, and and that's a relationship I've built over a long time. But again, the knowledge of science fiction and passion for the genre and really knowing how it sounds is what made me a good candidate to work on these jobs. Cool. Um, talk, talking about uh, Transformers, uh, you, you did you did the music uh, for the uh, video game Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Um, yeah. When when you did the music for that game, w- was there any back and forth between yourself and the actual movie's composer? Are we pretty much allowed to have free reign and and put your own mark on that? Uh, no, um, uh, Steve Jablonski wrote the themes, and uh, all the music had to be original, but in the style of the film. But they didn't license, basically it had to be completely original music. So Steve wrote the themes, all the cues had to be approved by him because, you know, he's the marquee composer, so his name is on the line. So I did work very closely with him and my job was to essentially expand on his style and um, and, and create these, um, you know, big action loops, but it had to be approved by him. So all the music went through, um, you know, through his approval. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've not, not actually seen the film or, or played the game, unfortunately, because I kind of uh, I kind of dropped out of Transformers after the second movie. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, it just saw like, um, you know, the, the you know the second movie was just too big for me as it was an hour and it was like two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. And well, I I felt really happy to be composing on it. I mean, I the music I got to write really sort of gave me uh, this newfound passion for game scoring, and especially because my loops got approved by Steve and by the studio Activision on the very first time without any revisions. I thought to myself, oh my god, this is awesome! I love composing. Um, the music is the perfect fit because I don't get any notes for revisions. I mean, usually in our business, you get tons of notes. Okay, tweak this, tweak that, revise this. And it just ignited my passion. That's what happened. I became, I felt like this is a really good match between my skills and what the game or games needed. And um, just became really passionate. And then the next game was Prince of Persia. Again, Steve wrote the theme and a couple of themes on the game and a couple of big um, set pieces, and then I composed two hours of in-game music, which again had to be approved by him, but uh, he loved it, and it was a wonderful process. It took six months 
and um and my that that was it i just i was happy and energized and it was that feeling of okay my my skills are a great fit for the game i want to do this it makes me happy it makes me energized i will become a game composer and then i took the time to really immerse myself and go to conventions and read and play games we got we got ps3 and um xbox this was like around 2009 2010 and i started playing tons of games and just really kind of committed myself focused and and focused myself on that whole kind of game path and uh, felt really happy and really inspired well you know uh, well while we're still on the games um, I have played Prince of Persia Sands of Time so I, I really enjoyed the music on that and uh, enjoyed the game um, even though I played it on easy because I yeah. always play on easy thank you so much because I'm a very very casual gamer yeah. <laughs> so easy is my speed um in, in in regards to uh, your your influences um on you know your your musical influences um who who would you say are the composers that you you've m- most enjoyed listening to and have probably had the most influence on 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 the music that you produce um i was classically trained since since childhood and i played the piano and uh then i picked up the violin so i would say classical composers you know beethoven mozart bach debussy Chopin, they were a huge, big influence, Wagner, Mahler, orchestrally. So I really studied that orchestral sound since childhood again. So I say classical music. Then once I got into Hollywood, um, I got really into soundtracks, both film and game soundtracks. I mean, I listen to one soundtrack a day, every day, just to just to kind of stay in touch with what's out there. And um, in, in addition to these uh, sort of major sources of, of inspiration, I also ha- um, have a real passion for non-Western music, like Indian music or um, Middle Eastern music, and um, also for medieval chant. That's one thing I discovered in graduate school and kind of made me so incredibly connected, you know, and inspired. So I would say medieval chant is a very big uh, part of my um Inspirations and then the electronica. I've dabbled into like the the intelligent dance music of the nineties and electronica. And um, you know, I mean, I was a gigantic, huge fan of progressive rock, and um, that's also kind of a big part of my identity as a musician. I just I still love rock music, and um, yeah. So you see, it's a very eclectic and, mm-hmm. and very sort of broad taste, and um, each of these influences has left a mark. And you can definitely feel. I mean, you can. You can if if you're a, like if you're a fan of Pink Floyd, <laughs> you can hear some influences in my latest album, like on that on that track called Insomnia. That's inspired by my love for for rock and blues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm a rock, blues, and jazz guy myself. But like yourself, I love movie soundtracks. Um, my my brother's actually a, a musician as well. Um, yeah. Classically trained, he plays he, he plays euphonium. That's um, great. But he's also played tenor horn. So um, although I didn't get into music at as younger age as as, as perhaps you did, um, it's always been around me in some way. No. So and that's a beautiful thing, and I would absolutely encourage you to always play and compose and and be a part of it because it really enriches your soul and your heart. It's a beautiful thing. I'm really happy to be a musician. It's not an easy path to make a living and thrive, but, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm happy. I'm, I, cho- I chose this path and I put in the time and now it makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed that there don't seem to be too many, uh, women composers working in the television and film industry. Uh, I'm just wondering why, why you think that is and, um, and how, how you think, um, they could be encouraged and helped um, in into uh, working, you know, into doing music for television and film. I'm really glad you asked this question. Um, historically, women, the whole composing thing was inaccessible for women historically. It's always been known, oh, you know, composing is not a woman's job. There are reasons for that. Uh, and uh, basically what happens when, when there are no role models, when there are no precedents, it's very difficult for a person to choose this career path because, um, like, you're an anomaly. I mean, it's very difficult to be on a career path without role models and without uh, precedence. This is what I encourage women to do. Find mentors, find professional opportunities where you have a chance to prove yourself, continuously seek to grow, which means get bigger and better jobs, 
and then create opportunities when they don't exist or when they don't present themselves. Like, I mean, one thing I did, I felt intuitively I had to keep growing, especially because I had just worked on some of the biggest games. I had just worked on Gears of War 3, not as a composer, but like an arranger and lead orchestrator. And, uh, and I thought to myself, well, I just was given this amazing chance and I'm going to do something with it, which is that first album, A Warrior's Odyssey, which I did um, three years ago. So um, for women, and then again, the most important thing is build a community, you know, friends, mentors, cha- uh, champions, um, somebody to give you leads, because we all don't exist in, in vacuum. We all exist in this community, which we have built, and it continuously grows. And um, I think women, but the most important thing is now work on professional opportunities, because um, you will be judged, all of us are judged by our body of work. Mm-hmm. And I got really lucky that I worked as an orchestrator because it gave me an edge. You know, I didn't have to. I mean, I've proved, I have to prove myself continuously, but I could say I worked on the Matrix, I worked on the Transformers, and that alone opened doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, t- talking about, uh, you know, concept albums, you've just, you've just released a new one recently called The uh, Woman Astronaut. Um, what was the idea and inspiration behind that? I truly wanted to grow as an artist. And I wanted to compose in styles that I haven't composed before. Um, and I've always been incredibly passionate about space and technology and, uh, you know, spaceships and kind of the whole idea. It's the ultimate dream of humanity, you know, to, to be in space and to explore space. And plus, you know, Gravity came out with Sandra Bullock. And I watched this other fascinating um, documentary about women astronauts in the United States you know, NASA produced it. So I thought to myself, well, this is incredible. But also what struck me, I did research one day uh, because I got fascinated by the, by the idea of women astronauts. And I found out that out of all people who have been in space on, um, on space missions and satellites, 11% of all astronauts are women. And that applies both to American astronauts and also worldwide. And then as far as composing is concerned, and specifically composing at the highest level, be that studio films or symphony orchestras or opera, any any kind of a place, any musical institution, basically you have like about 1% of women. 1% women composing for studio films. You know, in the opera world, it's probably about the same. And I thought to myself, how is that possible? That's strange. <laughs> it's, it's strange, and I can see the reasons why, because, you know, again, entertainment is a very high-risk um, business, but uh, you know that's like astronauts. I mean, so anyway, I thought this is a fascinating topic and a fascinating uh, question to pose as an artist. So I decided to have a life, like a life journey, in three acts: childhood, um, young adult, and maturity, uh, because it's a, it's a nice kind of a life story arc and a nice hero's journey. If you think like a hero's journey, like an epic journey, there's always three acts. And once I had that figured out. Then I decided, okay, well, each act is going to have a different tone. The adolescence is colorful. And it's all about dreams and it's all about ambition and wanting to go on this journey like you're tantalized by the idea of going on a journey. And then the young adult, it's all about passion and achievement and uh, training. That's difficult because sometimes you get kicked to the curb, but we all have resilience and we push forward. And that's like the emotions and the sound of the second act. And the third act is about... You know, it's a little bit more mature and you come to terms with, you know, disappointments and um, and you kind of have to figure, okay, I achieved my dreams. How do I keep going and keep with the same passion and the same um, excitement about career pursuit? So um, once I had the concepts figured out, then I just wrote the album in the course of almost like a year, over a year, year and a half. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's, um, I, I actually listened to the music uh, this afternoon. Um, while, while I'm actually working on on a few things, and I specifically enjoyed um, the the uh, the third the third track. I think it was the Forest Feet. Yeah. Um, because of the flutes. And yeah. now, as as I was telling you before we started recording, I'm sort of like uh, relatively new to uh, to playing music uh, and um, and and the bingling about composition. And I don't know what I don't know what it was about the flutes, but I think it might be because I've used the flute in my composition. I'm sort of like um, in love with the uh, 
with the sound of the flutes at the moment. The forest features a fantastic soloist here in Los Angeles, Sarah Anden. Mm-hmm. And she has that very evocative tone. She plays in all the video games. She plays in World of Warcraft and tons of movie scores. I wanted to work with her. And to me, the forest has always been this magical place where I'm alone, but also connected to the world in a special way and connected to the universe. It's like, it's like my sanctuary. So um, I have composed for flute many, many times, and it's always been my favorite instrument. I don't play the flute, but I sing. So, And I've listened to flute performers for a long time. So it's just that... It's that piece that combines, you know, ethnic influences, Bulgarian influences from my home country. And uh, the whole entire world was actually inspired by um, World of Warcraft. Um, You know, kind of very um, impressionistic. You know, you have flute and a little bit of harp. And it's a private, personal experience, you know, partially dark, partially pastoral. And uh, I'm so happy you like it because it's also one of my favorite pieces. I used two different kinds of flute. I used the regular C flute and also an alto flute, which is lower and darker. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the way the way the um, what was the what was the player's name again? Now, um, Sarah Anden. Sarah, Sarah Anden. The way the way she was the way she was sort of like playing, it, it almost sounded like the flute was actually singing. Yeah, you know. It, well, I mean, she has that deep understanding of style, and I love her. She's an incredibly musical performer, and um, so I, I, I told her, you know, this is inspired by folk music, you know, folk traditions in my country, and it's also inspired by a video game that is fantasy and impressionistic, you know, World of Warcraft. So she has that style in her, in her, you know, she really lives and breathes this music. So she just has such musicality and did a great job, terrific job. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thrilled that you like the track. It's one, it's one of my favorites also. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that's kind of like one that really grabbed my ear. And um, there, there, was another, there was another flute piece later on. I can't remember what it was called now because I've Taking not got it. That's why I really enjoyed that one as well. That one, that, that was a conceptual piece, and that's like the, one of the first pieces I composed. Um, and then, again, the idea was this journey from being knocked to the curb to um, propelling yourself forward and kind of building yourself again. In other words, resilience and t- tenacity and, uh, you know, these sort of humanistic, most important humanistic qualities, like when you're kicked to the curb, you still find the strength in your heart to move on and uh, go from, from failure to triumph. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it's like, um, it's, it's such, um, you know, by listening to, you know, the, 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 the flute on, on that, you know, it just shows what a versatile instrument actually is. Um, yeah. Because in the composition I've, I've worked on, which is never going to sort of like be, be, be that big, it's kind of like a personal thing. Yeah. Um, and basing got, you know, this lady's flute, you know, kind of doing the call and response bit to a, to a bit of my blues guitar. So, yeah. So, but you know, it's it's just sort of like listening to the way you you know the way you you've composed um, those two tracks. It's just shown me even more how versatile you know the flute is as an instrument, and you know. Well, you know, flutists actually are taught to play uh, through also singing phrases. So when I compose flute music, I always think in terms of like phrases, you know, phrases of speech. Or especially phrases of singing. Cool. Um, could you tell me if there's is there any other projects that you're that you're currently involved with that you can maybe uh, talk about? Um, um, no, I um, my full time job right now is promoting the album and reaching out to decision makers, filmmakers, directors, producers, game developers, audio directors in the game business. My full time job really right now is to try and jump a level. Uh, essentially level up, try to find a bigger job, bigger composing job. Um, I'm working as an orchestrator on a a film that Steve Jablonski is composing. um, That's going to come out later in the year. But um, other than that, I mean, really my focus right now is I want, I want the world to hear the woman astronaut and especially decision makers to listen to it. And um, really my focus is on building new relationships and um, building these sort of planting seeds that ultimately will lead to new collaborations and new collaborators. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy and excited. It's a beautiful journey. Okay, well, um, can I just say thanks a lot for your time. It's been great speaking to you. It's been brilliant having you on the show. Um, Ian, thank you so much. It's my joy and, and pleasure. 
And I want to wish you the best and luck with the uh, CD and digital release of The Woman Astronaut. Um, I'm really hoping that people and, and the decision makers uh, enjoy it as much as I have and that it gets you some decent film work. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful opportunity. Your, your questions were wonderful and I'm grateful. As I said, the best and luck with the album. Thank you so much. That about wraps things up for this week um, but we'll be back again soon with more shows um, if you've missed this show or you, you want to like, catch other shows that we've done um, you can do so by catching us on, on iTunes you can subscribe to us on iTunes via the keyword for that is Sci-Fi Pulse Radio um, and just type that into iTunes and you know, you'll be able to subscribe to our shows and catch all our past episodes as well as past episodes of uh, Genre Tainment um, genre tape will be back soon as will we and um, you know for, for now we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back at you in a week or two bye for now